So anyway, I always want to share a little bit tonight from Proverbs 23 in verse 12. It says, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. Uh, the Hebrew, by the way, the Hebrew definition for wisdom is skill for living. Skill for living. Now, Billy Graham made, made this statement, and uh, I, I, I love Billy Graham. I think that now that he's dead, he's getting even smarter. You know, I don't know if you've known some of the controversies that are going on in the church today, but Billy Graham, they actually called it the Billy Graham rule. And the Billy Graham rule was never go out to dinner or lunch or anything with someone that's not your spouse of the opposite sex. Never invite someone who's not your spouse into your hotel room. And uh, there's just been so many people that have made dumb mistakes. If they'd have just been as smart as Billy Graham, Man, they'd be, they, they, they would have come through smooth as could be. But Billy Graham said, knowledge is horizontal. In other words, he said, knowledge is something that you can pick up horizontally. You can pick it up from other people. And it applies to your life with other people. He said, but wisdom is vertical. He said, the only place you can get wisdom is from God. Knowledge from people, but wisdom we receive from God. Now, again, wisdom is not an event. It's not like all of a sudden, one day, a, a cloud of wisdom hits you, and there it is. It's a process that comes from a relationship with God. And it says to apply your heart to instruction. In other words, seek it, be hungry, give it time, give it effort. Um, a lot of people say that they're like, like, like I really admire Pastor Ken and his musical skill. You know, he, he gets on the bass, he gets on the keyboard, and, and uh, they tell me, because I'm not even good enough to know, that he is an incredible bass player. And I really wish I could play the bass. You know, and some people would say, you know, like, well, I'd just give anything to be able to play the bass like Ken. But the truth is, you wouldn't. Because the real proof of desire is pursuit. So if I say I'd give anything to play like Ken, but I don't give it any time, I really don't, I really don't want what I'm saying. If I really wanted that skill, I would take the time to develop that skill. So the proof of desire is when you give yourself to that thing and you pursue that thing. Now, when it comes to wisdom, the number one place that it is going to come in our life is through the Word of God. When uh, Moses has died and Joshua is stepping into his foot, footsteps or into his place, into his shoes, and uh, can you imagine following Moses, 10 plagues, splits the Red Sea, goes up in the mountain, talks to God, and his face shines, and you're supposed to follow that? Well, God gave him this word. He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein. And then you'll make your way prosperous and you will have good success. What God is saying to, to Joshua here, he says, God's word, if you will get it on the inside of you and apply it 
to your life. He said, you will make your way prosperous. So often what we think is that God's just going to do something. He's just kind of like wave a magic wand and something's going to happen. But the Bible says God will give you the wisdom. He'll give you the knowledge and the understanding as you meditate in his word. And it says you will make your way prosperous. How many of you have made some bad financial decisions? You know, and you, you look back and you think, if I had just known, if I had just had the insight, uh, if I had just listened to my wife, uh, you know, <laughs> but, but uh, what God is saying, he says, well, you meditate in my word. You're going to get that. Now, meditation is, uh, you know, in, in our society today, you know, people, they, I don't know, how do they do that? You know, sit and just kind of hum. You know, and you're supposed to empty your mind. But Bible meditation is filling your mind. And probably the best way to describe meditation is to ask you if you have ever been afraid of anything. I'm ever worried about something. Now, worrying is meditating. That's what it is. But it's meditating on the wrong thing. It's meditating really in reverse. Instead of meditating on God's promise to see you through, to deliver you, you're meditating on all the things that could go wrong. So really, when we meditate, we apply the Word of God to our life and even to hypothetical situations before they happen. You know, you're reading the Word of God and you find a certain situation and see what somebody did. And you say, now, how does the Word of God apply to that situation so that if I'm in that situation, I can do the right thing. Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Think about that. So you can be away from God just in your thoughts, just in the things that you're thinking about, the things that you believe. It says, let him return to the Lord, and he'll have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you love this. He says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and don't, do not return there, but water the earth and make it spring forth in bud. So will my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I've sent it to do. So he says, just like the rain and the snow come down and they make the earth spring forth in bud. He said, that's what God's word will do in your life. As you meditate on that word and receive the word, it will make your life spring forth in bud. It is so powerful, God says, it will not return void. In 2 Timothy 3, I prefer the message translation here. It says, don't let it phase you. Stick to what you've learned and believe. Sure of the integrity of your teachers. Why you took the sacred scriptures with you like your mother's milk. There's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed, is useful in one way or another, showing us the truth, exposing our rebellion, 
correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task that God has for us. Every part of God's word, it is profitable. I love this where it says that it shows us the truth in a society that we live in today that does not believe in absolute truth. It exposes our rebellion, which is glorified often in our society. It corrects our mistakes and trains us to live God's way. It's in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, where it's talking about what happened to Israel. And it says that now all these things happened to them as examples. And they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. You know, I've heard many people say, well, you know, don't need to read the Old Testament. But the Bible says that those things are examples for us. And they're written for our admonition. Some of you may have heard me say this before, but the word admonition there in the Greek means to slap your face. So those things are written so that when we read the Bible, we get slapped. I think you should get slapped at least once every day. You read God's word and you see something in there. You see what somebody did. You see the results of it. And it's supposed to slap you and say, you need to straighten up. Look what happened to Samson. He began to compromise and it cost him everything. You look at what happened to different people in the Bible. Number two is stay teachable, humble, hungry to learn, not an expert, but a lifelong learner. One of uh, my mentors that has gone to heaven now is Lester Summerall. He was just down in, in South Bend, Indiana. I remember one day that Jeannie and I had picked him up at the airport. He was going to speak for us here at the church. And as we're driving along, he, he is just, he's just speaking. And, and, uh, and, and he said to Jeannie and I, he said, if you graduate today and you learn nothing tomorrow, he said, you're behind. He said, you need to learn every day. You need to grow every day. Most people have the mentality that they graduate from high school or college or whatever it is, right? and they're done. Peter Daniels, who is, is really an, an expert in the area, says that the average American spends less than $10 a year to improve their brain, to learn, to grow. Less than $10 a year. You spend more than that going to Starbucks for in a week. But we've got to stay hungry. You know, when, when you think you're an expert, you don't need to learn anymore. You don't need to grow anymore. You're, you're not in a good spot. You're in a bad spot. In Proverbs 9, verse 8, it says, Don't rebuke a mocker, for they'll hate you. But rebuke a wise person, and they'll love you. It says, Instruct the wise, and they'll be wiser still. So people that are hungry, people that are wise... They're looking for somebody to come up and tell them how they can improve, how they can grow. Proverbs 25, 12 says, the rebuke of the wise judge to the hearing ear. In other words, you're wanting to grow. You're ready to listen. And when that rebuke is there, you receive it just, just this week. Uh, I, I talked with one of our pastors who tried to give somebody some instruction. And he said, it, di it just didn't work. He said, they no more than began to talk to this person than they exploded. 
because they, they were not interested in learning and growing and improving. It says, whoever heeds instruction is honored. In Proverbs 13 and 8, and whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. You know, when you want to grow, you're just going to get wiser and wiser. And it says you're going to feel very comfortable around wise people because wise people want to keep growing, want to keep learning, and they're looking for someone who can help. 50% of all Nobel Peace Prize winners have mentors who were Nobel Peace Prize winners. That's interesting. Right? They were open to learn, to receive. In, in uh, Proverbs 6, and this, this, is prob this is one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 6.23. It says, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. And the reproofs of correction are the way of life. The reproofs of correction are the way of life. Everybody, you, me, everybody has blind spots. And we need, to, we need somebody to show us where those blind spots are, to tell us. How many of you know if, if you wake up in the morning and somehow you end up going to work and you've got a crusty sticking out of your nose, <laughs> the person that really loves you is going to say something. They're going to say something to you. And the same thing is true when it comes to life. Now, the Bible says the reproofs of correction are the way of life. That's the way all of us learn. It's the way of life. It's how to learn. It's how to improve. It's how to get better. The reproofs of instruction. So there's the person who comes up to you and simply says, look, you're stupid and you're an idiot and you're a moron and what you did was terrible. Well, they aren't helping you at all. But the person who comes to you and says, this is what you did. But I think it would have been better if you had done this. More people would have understood if you had done this. It would have been easier to receive if you had done this. And, you know, we have a lot, we have a lot of guests. And when we have a guest, most of the time, when we're in the back, I'll ask them. I'll say, look at the church. How can we, what do you see that we need to do different, that we could do better? Where can we improve? But why? Because we're hungry. We want to keep growing. We want to keep improving. Wisdom does not go where it's needed. It goes where it's valued and where it's sought. It doesn't go where it's needed. It goes where it's valued and where it's sought. And if we're going to reach our potential, the way of life, the way to learn, the way to grow is to have someone who's willing to speak into your life and you're willing to receive from them the reproofs of instruction. The reproof of instruction is someone who loves you, who's trying to help you improve. Jesus said in Mark 4, 24, he said, be careful what you're hearing for the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides will be given to you. Now, really, Jesus is talking about meditation. He said, you're going to hear something. He says, now you need to give thought and study to that truth that you hear. You need to meditate on it. And he says, as you begin to give the thought and study to that, that's when something is going to come. Again, truth, excuse me, truth, wisdom doesn't come where it's needed. It comes where it's sought. 
And I think one of the great examples of this is found in Acts chapter 10. And it's the story of Cornelius. And I just want to read a couple of verses here. He says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour in the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. And by the way, that word memorial there is kind of like a statue that you would see in a park. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And he will tell you what you must do. Now notice this, this man Cornelius. It mentions that he's a centurion. So he's, he's definitely a person who is trusted a person who has a very powerful position in the, in the uh, army and in the community. He's devout. He fears God with all his house. He gives. He prays to God. And he's fasting. How many think this is like a really good Christian guy? But the truth is, he's not right with God yet. He's not saved. Because when Peter here, he brings Peter to his house. And this is what Peter said, an angel said to him. He will tell you words by which you and all your house will be saved. That angel said to Cornelius, he will tell you words by which you and all your house will be saved. Now listen, this is the first Gentile to get saved. All the Gentiles, I think all of us here are Gentiles, needed to be saved. But the one who received the revelation was the one that was seeking it. The one that was walking in the truth that they had. He was doing everything he knew to do. He was worshiping God. He was praying. He's fasting. He's seeking God. He's giving. He's doing everything that he knows to do. And when he's doing everything he knows to do, seeking God, revelation comes. That angel showed up, says to him, when Peter comes, he will tell you words by which you in all of your house will be saved. So it wasn't some random person who received the revelation. It was somebody that was seeking God. Uh, one of the things that, that I hear quite often from people is someone will say something similar to this. Well, God's just not speaking to me. God doesn't speak to me. Well, first of all, I would, the question that I always ask is, what's the last time God did speak to you? And they will say, well, you know, God told me to do this or showed me to do that. And I would always ask them, well, are you doing that? And almost without exception, the answer is no. So what we're saying is we want more wisdom. We want more direction. We want more light. We want more revelation. But we aren't using what God's already given us. We're not walking in it. So we need to go to what God has already said to us. I think the best example of this is Jonah. You know, there's just four little chapters in the book of Jonah. It starts out, God says, go to Nineveh and preach. He doesn't want to go. The Ninevites are the enemies of the Israelites. And, and later he says, you know, I know, God, that you're so merciful. If I go and I preach and they repent, you won't destroy them. And I want you to destroy them all. 
Right? That's, that's not really a great attitude for a Christian, would you agree? Or for a missionary or a prophet. But he runs. He gets in a ship, goes in the opposite direction. The storm comes. They end up throwing him overboard. God has prepared a great fish of some kind. The fish comes up, swallows Jonah. Jonah's down in the fish, and he starts to pray. I don't know about you, but I think I'd have prayed before. He's saying, God, have mercy. And God does have mercy. The fish goes over near land, spews up Jonah, chapter 3, and the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach. Do you know what? God's will didn't change one bit. The, sacks, the, the very thing he said in the first chapter, he says again in the third chapter. We need to walk in the revelation that God's given us. We need to do what God has shown us to do if we expect God to show us the next step to take. But in Habakkuk, it says this. This is what Habakkuk said. He said, I will look to see what he will say to me. I will look to see what he will say to me. You know, the play, what, what people want is they, they, they want a voice from heaven. They want an angel to show up. They want some supernatural sign. They say something like this, God, if you want me to do that, have three camels walk through the living room. Other people, I mean, they're going to some reader advisor or palm reader and, and you know, what am I supposed to do? You know, and, uh, a while, it was, it was several years ago, Jeannie uh, and I were in Dallas and, and there was one of those reader advisors and it said going out of business. And I just thought, well, why didn't you see that coming, you know? <laughs> But we're looking all over the place. But the, look what he said. He said, I will look to see what he will say to me. If you want to know where God's going to talk to you more than any other place and way, it's in the Bible. You can look to see what he will say to you. Most always the direction that I get from God is when I'm in the Bible, when I'm reading the word of God. That's what the prophet said. I'll look to see what he will say to me. So what's the last thing God spoke to you? Solomon said that wisdom, it's the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And though it costs you all that you have, he said, get understanding. Now, I think this is really interesting that Solomon puts such a premium on wisdom. And the other thing that he talks about more than any place else in the Bible is getting wise counsel. Wise counsel. Now, here's the wisest person that ever lived. And what is he constantly doing? He's looking for wise counsel. He's looking for advice. He's looking for the reproofs of instruction. It's in Job 28 where it says that wisdom, it, you, it cannot be gotten for gold nor by silver. It says it cannot be valued in the gold of Orphar or precious onyx or sapphire. The, the gold and the crystal cannot equal it. It goes on and compares it to topaz and a number of different things. And what it says is, is there's just nothing as valuable as wisdom. So let me quickly give you four ways that wisdom comes. Very, number one, wisdom comes by asking for wisdom. James 1, 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And then he goes on and says, let him ask in faith, nothing doubting, because he that wavers is like the wave of the sea tossed to and fro. And let not that person think they will receive anything 
from the Lord. But to obtain wisdom, one of the things that we need to do is we need to ask for wisdom. That's what Solomon did in a dream. God said, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And when he asked for wisdom, it pleased God. And I believe with all my heart that when you and I ask for wisdom, it pleases God. Number two, meditate on God's word. Meditate on that word. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Constantly applying the word of God to your life. And when you do, that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein, then you will make your way prosperous. You will have good success. And then we've already talked about walking the light that you have. Do what God has shown you to do. Faith and wisdom are like muscles that they grow as you use them. You don't use them, man, you lose it. Um, it's been 30, how many years since we left Mexico? 30, 33, 34, I think it's 34 years ago that we left Mexico. Now, when we left Mexico, I was like super fluent in Spanish. I could translate for anybody. Uh, fast forward 30 years of not using my Spanish. And it's work. It's work. In fact, now, um, like when, when we're going to watch something on Netflix, we watch in Spanish. So that it comes back. And it's amazing how quickly it comes back. But you don't use it and you lose it. You lose it. And the same thing with your muscles. They atrophy. And it's the same thing when it comes to faith. Wisdom, they need to be used. And as they're used, they grow. Number four, through association. Walk with wise men and you will be wise. The companion of fools will suffer harm. And of course, there's a modern paraphrase that says, he who walks with the wise will become wise. But the companion of fools, their life will begin to unravel. The companion of fools, their life will begin to unravel. Now, what that means is this, that you pick up the values and the habits of the people that you spend a lot of time with. So if you were to look at, if you're having problems with finances, if you will look at your friends, they're probably having the same problems. Jimmy Evans, who is recognized today as one of the top marriage teachers and counselors, says that divorce is a communicable disease. He says, if you will find someone getting a divorce, he says, and you will look at their friends almost without exception, he says, there's somebody there who's telling them you shouldn't put up with that, you can do better, you know, you need to get rid of that person. Man, if you were free, you could do this, you can do that, you can do the next thing. You see, the people that you associate with, they have a tremendous effect on your life. Probably 15, 16 years ago, uh, I went out to lunch with a businessman here from church. He had just gotten back from a business seminar. And uh, we were sitting in a restaurant. And I said to him, I said, uh, what was the, the most outstanding thing at the seminar that you learned? He said, well, the instructor said that if you will take your five closest friends and write down their income and total it up and divide it by five, he said, that would be your income. He said, I did. He said, in... Uh, they were right. That was my income. 
See, that was the day I decided I'd only have rich friends. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but what, what he was saying was this. The people you hang around with, they affect how you think about money. They affect what you do with your money. They affect what you learn about money. And it's true about marriage. It's true about raising kids. It's true about attitudes. It's true about everything. In, in leadership, there's what is often referred to as the law of the inner circle. But this is true in everybody's life. The law of the inner circle says this. It says that the people that are closest to you determine the level of your success. The people that are the closest to you determine the level of your success. And, and while we're saying that, let me say that if you are the most spiritual person that you know, you need some new friends. You need somebody who's going to help you grow, who's going to encourage you, who's going to challenge you. And that's why it's so very, very important, the friends that you select. In everybody's life, the people closest to you determine the level of your success. David had a lot of great skills, a skilled musician and songwriter, a courageous warrior. But think about it. He had a lot of, he had Asaph next to him, who was a, a tremendous songwriter, worship leader. Now, David was a courageous warrior, but he had, the Bible says, 30 mighty men. He had counselors that were around him. Nathan was his spiritual advisor. David had a great inner circle, and that inner circle helped make David great. Most of us know people who year after year never seem to grow. They've kept the same dreams, but they never got past the same problems and the same excuses. They've got the same alibis, and they continue to ignore the same opportunities. They behave as if someday, through little or no effort of their own, they're going to win life's lottery, and all their dreams will come true. Almost everybody desires success. But do you pursue it? Because the proof of desire is pursuit. And, and, and literally, I, I, I have talked with people that their, their strategy for retirement, their retirement plan, is they're going to win the lottery. You know, you may as well just figure I'm going to get struck by lightning. That's not, that's, not, that's not the plan. So in Philippians 3, Paul said, I don't count myself to have apprehended. He said, I have not arrived, but this one thing I do. This one thing I do. Right? He's saying, I'm not arrived. He said, I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still reaching. I'm still seeking. The, the greatest evangelist, for sure in America and probably the world, in the 19th century was Dwight L. Moody. Uh, today, you know, we have Moody Press, we have Moody Bible College, Moody Church, you know. Uh, so he, he had a tremendous, tremendous impact. But during the height of his ministry, when he was having campaigns in Great Britain and the United States, he realized that he had become spiritually and intellectually malnourished. In uh, his biography written about him, it says, at, the, at a moment of reaching the height of influence in the U.S., he stood in, a dangerous spirit, in danger of spiritual insolvency. Moody realized that he had pulled people everything that he knew, that he had nothing new to say. And in a move that proved how much he trusted God, 
He canceled all of his meetings and for six months did nothing but pray and study, pray and study until he felt like he had grown again, that he had reconnected with God, that he had something new, that he had something fresh to say. And then he continued, but never went any place without taking a small library with him and taking four to six hours a day to keep on growing and keep on learning. To graduate today, learn nothing tomorrow, we're behind. Solomon, the wisest person that ever lived, wrote more and talked more about seeking advice and growing and learning than anyone else. The great prophet and theologian Will Roberts, Will, excuse me, Will Rogers, summed it up this way. He said, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. Think about that. You've got to keep on growing, keep on moving. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Is your delight God's word? Is it something that every day you're there and you're meditating day and night? Because it will change not just your life, but your eternal destiny. So would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Now, if you're here tonight, but you're not where you should be with God, and you may be away from the Lord, or you just simply say, I just know I'm not right with God. I don't know if I've ever been right with God. Well, today is your day. The Bible says in Psalms 99 that he was to them the God who forgives. And that is who God wants to be to you today. He wants to be the God who forgives. But he wants to do more than just forgive you. He wants to do something down on the inside of you. Jesus said in John 10, he said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He wants to do something on the inside of you and give you new life on the inside. And Jesus in the same verse said, the thief, the devil, he only comes to steal, to kill and destroy. His purpose is your destruction. And why anyone would serve him one more day, I do not know. When it's Jesus that loves you and says, I want to give you new life. So if you're here today, you're away from God or you're not right with God, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, would you please lift your hand? And what's going to happen is we're going to pray and God is going to meet you in this place. And when we say amen, you are going to be right with God. You're going to be forgiven. In that life that Jesus came to give you, that new life, that abundant life, it's going to come down on the inside of you and begin to take an effect in your life. When I say three, as you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying is you're saying, God, I know that I need a Savior, and I'm coming to Jesus today to be saved and to be forgiven. One, as you lift that hand, you're saying to God today, I want to give Jesus all of my heart, in all of my life, I'm going to hold nothing back. I'm going to live for him every day. Two, as you lift that hand, 
You're saying, Jesus, by faith, you're coming into my heart today. You're going to blood wash me from my sin. My past is going to be gone. You're going to make me a part of your family, a part of your kingdom. Make me new on the inside. I'm going to begin to live that abundant life that you have for me. I'm going to be on my way to heaven. Three, just lift that hand up. Lift it up. Pray with me. Pray with me. I am not right, but I want to get right. Everybody saved on their way to heaven. Father, I thank you for each and every one of my brothers and sisters tonight. And we ask, Father, today that you would give us wisdom. Wisdom for life. Wisdom in our marriages. Wisdom in our jobs. Wisdom with our kids. Wisdom with our finances. Wisdom in every area of our life. And Father, you said to ask in faith, and we believe that we receive, that you impart today wisdom in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. 